Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Let's turn our eyes to the sermon series uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to ask that you not open your Bibles. In fact, if you've already opened your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I am literally asking you to close your Bibles or turn your Bible off in modern day terms. Uh, Yes, I did say please do not open your Bibles. Today's an unlike day, Uh, not only because of the weather, but it's unlike uh, verified by me saying, please don't open your Bibles. If you're visiting with us, uh, this is normally the time where I am all about open your Bibles. Uh, But not today at this point yet. Uh, Today is an experience the text day. Today is not a read, study, see it in the text day. Today is an experience the text day. Matthew 5 through 7, we're covering all three chapters of that today. It's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard of that before, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I want us to experience it as in the context of being the original Uh, hearers of it, not the original readers of what Matthew put. This is different actually today. I want us to be like we are the original hearers of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Digging into each of the areas of the Sermon on the Mount, like the Beatitudes, the the various paragraphs, the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, they can be a great study, and I encourage you to consider doing that Uh, in each of those segments of it. However, this sermon series, as I've talked about, this is a 10,000, 15,000 foot altitude through the Gospel of Matthew. And when you fly at 15,000 feet, you see things that you don't see when you're at uh, like six feet off the ground. When you're six feet off the ground, you see things that you don't see at 15,000 foot, but we're at a 15,000 foot altitude, and I want us to see some things out of this. And and, uh, no, there are some awesome, awesome, crazy, cool truths in the Sermon on the Mount for us to be able to dig into and dive into, but there's something big in this that I want for us to experience out of it on the whole Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Matthew tells us what we should be experiencing. But don't go there to find out. Because if you bypass the journey, you bypass the experience. Okay, so I want us to take in the experience of the text. So allow me to kind of set us up uh, to be original hearers for this. Uh, A few things with this. Some say that Matthew is writing here a collection of Jesus' sayings. In fact, uh, some quotes from this uh, people would say, they are sayings given on various occasions and collected and shaped by oral tradition. Someone else said, they are isolated sayings of Jesus collected together. I just want for you to know, I actually disagree with that. Um, I disagree with that view for two reasons here. One, uh, the view, this view in some way ends up devaluing what Jesus says. And, and it, if you devalue in some kind of way what Jesus says, you eventually devalue who Jesus is. 
And, and so I just that. But the other, even the bigger thing is, I know I told you to close your Bibles, but, but you'll hear the way Matthew sets it up, Matthew doesn't set it up anything like I wanted to now tell you a collection of sayings that happened over three years. Matthew actually begins by saying, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. He, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them saying. And then you go through chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then Matthew concludes with, and when Jesus finished saying these things, he came down from the mountain. Everything in the context of the setting this says that Jesus is teaching this in a particular place with particular people in a particular time frame. Now know this, uh, was this a written word by word dictation? Um, maybe not. And actually it's not that important of that. Could this have been one sermon as it is? Yes. And actually, I kind of think it is the way Matthew writes it. If you take out all those headings in the text, it really makes sense. However, this could have been teaching over a day, teaching over two days, kind of like a conference, when you go to a conference and then you collect together. I'm gonna call this kind of this idea of a coherent compression of what was taught. Here were the things, here's the things, here's the things, here's the things. Matthew could have been doing that, but we know this, he presents it as he comes to this time, people are there, he teaches, after he teaches this, he comes back down, and Matthew is providing this to further his authorial argument as to who Jesus is. And let me remind you of what that's been. Matthew chapter one. Matthew tells us that Jesus, the Christ, comes from a royal lineage, the line of David, the covenant line of Abraham. And then after that, he tells us that Jesus came from a divine lineage. Listen, there would be no story if the divine was not involved in the coming and the birth of Christ. And then he tells us that someone preceded him. John came. John came to prepare and announce his arrival. And then Matthew tells us next that he entered the desert to go to war with the devil, and he won. Three strikes, and he's out. And then after that, we find that he enters into public ministry, and he's teaching and preaching. And the text tells us, repeats teaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he's calling some of his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he's healing every disease and affliction, Matthew is telling us. And the story is building and moving along. And as a result, the text tells us at the end of chapter four that his fame spread through throughout all the areas, including the great crowds following him. And when I concluded last Sunday, I said, I think this is the point, if you're reading through what Matthew is presenting, you're right now at the point where you're kind of in this place of, this is awesome. Can you like tell me more of what this guy has to say and teach? And Matthew's like, I got you right where I want you. Because I am now gonna tell you what he taught. And you gotta hear this. And you gotta get a load of this. And today, the gospel speaks. And it's time to experience the Sermon on the Mount. So we are there in it. By the way, one more time, keep your Bibles closed, please. If you have them open, you are not an original hearer. Okay, because I'm quite sure they did not have copies 
on their laps. Speaking of we are here, where is here? Since it's kind of an unlike Sunday through the Gospel of Matthew, um, instead of us picturing ourselves in the likely setting of the countryside of Israel, I want to bring something more familiar to us. Uh, Something that is more familiar to us would be the Indiana countryside. The Indiana countryside. We are here, kind of up on the rolling mountain hill of Indiana. And let's experience Matthew 5 through 7. Let's hear it. Let's consider it. Let's feel it. Let's experience it. And when Jesus is done teaching, I want to take a few minutes for us to sit together in it. So, Matthew tells us, Jesus' fame spread throughout all the regions And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds were following him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My friends, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are also the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. 
I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks even the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. My friends, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then return and offer your gift. In the same way, if you, if you know that your adversary has something against you and he is taking you to court, settle matters quickly with him while you are still on the way, lest he hands you over to the judge and then the judge hands you to the officer and you are thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Far better it for, you, for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be to go into hell. It's also been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all. Not by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Likewise, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, offer to him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Do not turn away from the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Think about what was said long ago to the people. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you, if you love those, you see, my friends, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He causes rain to fall on the righteous and on the un, unrighteous. If you simply just love those who love you, what reward is there in that? For not even the tax collectors are doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Are not even the pagans doing that? Therefore, be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now you must not, you gotta be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with, with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the, in the synagogues and on the street corners, just to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have re- received their reward in full. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And do not pray like the pagans do. They babble along thinking that their many words will offer them a prayer to be heard. Do not be like them for your Father in heaven. (laughs) He knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. Now, my friends, when you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites do. 
They just figure their faces so that they can be seen by men and it be obvious that they are fasting. Instead, when you fast, put oil in your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious that you, that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. My friends, you, you must think eternally. Please do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then your body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your body is full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You must understand that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the other and be devoted to the other. Thus you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And your body more important than clothes? Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you the truth that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things And your heavenly father, he knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. (laughs) Each day has enough of its own trouble. Please do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I mean, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck from your eye, when all the while there is a plank coming out of your own eye? 
you hypocrite. First, go and remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to help your brother, brother remove the speck from his eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not cast pearls before pigs. They may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. My friends, simply ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your child asked you for a piece of bread, would give him a stone? <laughs> or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And I must tell you, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now I must warn you, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? See, a, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear good fruit, bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You see, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. 
But whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The winds blew, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell. It fell with a great crash. Right now, what's going through your mind? What's going on in our minds right now? I, I ask that you don't let that go. Um, I think what just you helped with was to show there's two things that are taking place, I think, when you go through the Sermon on the Mount. Number one is you go, there's a lot of information in there. And number two, there are things that he says, Jesus says, that particularly grab your attention. They may be life issues. They may be uh, interest issues. They may be things that kind of come to the top of it. But, but do you see in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, Jesus is just like going, going, rattling off all these teaching moments. It's like, can you stop there and expand on that for a little? Like that one right there is an entire sermon series or, or that one is an entire year study together. Can, can we like talk more? Hey, can I raise my hand, Jesus, and stop you for a second and ask some questions in it? But, but the way Matthew, uh, as a spirit of God, is moving Matthew to write what God would have, Matthew is writing it in this way with all of this content, and, 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 and part of this is what's supposed to happen from this? Well, one of the things that's supposed to happen from this is he's been moving his argument. There's one that is coming, the royal line of David, line of Abraham. He, he is also the divine line of the Godhead. He is also, uh, he came and, and he was baptized by John and the whole special thing involved with that. Then he goes into the desert. This is taking place. Then he begins his public ministry. And as we said, we're like, can you tell us more of what you're talking about? Like, what are you teaching? And then he's like, like, and he lays out all this stuff, and, and part of this is, wait, how should we walk away from this? I suggest we walk away from it the way the original hearers walked away from it. Look, look at chapter 7, verse 28, the very last few verses of chapter 7. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished or amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. By the way, verse eight, chapter eight, verse one, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Let's talk about this. They were astonished. Now, we live in an information culture. We value if you can play Jeopardy well. Uh, I have low value, therefore, in our culture because I am not that kind of a guy. I do not remember things well. I'm visual, I'm verbal, and I hate tests because I stink at them. 
And for those of you who are blessed to do well at them, oh, you make me mad. (laughs) But in this, we are an information culture, and we have the tendency to not be good hearers either. This was a culture of hearing and of oral tradition. And our ears aren't trained very well to carry thought along. And it's like in and out. It's like Sesame Street. It's just short little segments of things. And we're gone and on to the next thing. And yet Jesus has just laid out all these things. And what happens? The people were astonished. The word astonished, it means to be astounded. It means to be overwhelmed. It means to be struck with amazement. Now, there's part of this you can walk away from this and go, Brett, man, goodness sakes, how do you remember all that? And we can be awed by that, but don't be, and Brett wouldn't want us to be. Instead, we're to be awed by, astounded by, amazed by all this one who's teaching. We're to be amazed by the person even prior to the content. The content points us to the person. We are not so much amazed by the teaching, we are amazed by the person giving the teaching. And by the way, the text tells us that. Why were they astonished at his teaching? Verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. By the way, and see in the text, this is not like the scribes. Understand, back in that day, the scribes taught more like they were referencing authority. They were not the authorities. They were referencing the authority. For instance, uh, they they would say maybe something like, well, a rabbi said, rabbi blank said, or a high priest blank said, and so forth. But in our day, let me bring that in our day, it would be someone going, well, Aristotle said, Galileo said, Da Vinci said, Isaac Newton said, well, well, Darwin said, well, Einstein said, well, Hawking said, well, Gandhi said, well, Kramer said. Uh, uh, maybe that's for you younger ones. It, it's, <laughs> it's ones who are making reference to authorities. They are not the authority, they are making reference to the authorities, and when Jesus taught, all that was blown out of the water because all of a sudden he gets done and they're like, oh my, he teaches having authority. And if you hear what is going on in the Sermon of the Mount, he is making reference to the fact of the one who holds authority. And he is utterly taking everything in that day and he is turning it piece by piece. I think you go through this and he is grabbing culture, he's grabbing thought, he's grabbing what's taught in in the religious uh, time of the day and he's taking all of it and he's grabbing and he's turning it inside out and upside down. And he's just grabbing that and he's grabbing that and he's grabbing that and he's grabbing that. And people are not so much bound into the content as they are into the content giver. Because he speaks as one with authority, unlike anyone else that they've seen. And so the crowds are astonished. They heard it, they could see it, 
and they felt it. Every compartment of a person is being grabbed a hold of in the Sermon on the Mount. And it should with us. You see, when we go through it, we just, as Americans in our culture say, we go, let's dive into that and work that one apart. I don't understand that one. I actually don't like what he said right there. That makes me very uncomfortable. Let's dive into that. And it's like, there's a time and a place for that. But what so often is missed is the whole objective that's coming out of what Matthew is doing here, and he's trying to, get hit, trying to show that the hearers and us readers of it should be walking away and going, oh my, who is this that teaches the way that he does? And by the way, what's the result of being astonished? Look at chapter 8, verse 1. He came down from the mountain and great crowds followed him. Think about that. Out of astonishment, movement happened. Out of being amazed by, closeness came. Out of their being overwhelmed with it all, There was an action that took place of a person moving toward this one who speaks and has authority. Out of the teaching, relationship begins to happen. Loved ones, are you astonished in a real, daily, ongoing basis. Are you astonished and enamored by and amazed with Jesus, or is it just an interest, an intrigue? Is it just, he'll give me what I want? You see, because how you see Jesus drives what relationship with him is like. The deeper you follow Christ, you follow Christ deeper because you are astonished by him more. And if there is little astonishment, there is little following. Does that make sense? And so oftentimes in our culture, in our day, we want to just give me the step process. Give me the one step, the three steps, the five steps, the 22 steps, so that it'll happen. And we're like, check, check, check. And it's like, no, 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 wait a second. We're missing something. We can do the to-do list, but are you crazy amazed by who Jesus is? One of my greatest desires as a pastor and my own personal passion is that God's people would fall back in amazing love with his word and with the God of the word. I am a passionate guy and I want us to be passionate about Jesus because out of passion for Jesus comes following after Jesus. And when there is no passion for Jesus, then we have a problem. And your minds are already going, so what do I do? It's a good question. Let me note this. 
Jesus finishes with no altar call, no bow your heads, no pray a prayer, no fill out a form. He leaves them with his teaching. But he does leave the very last paragraph. He leaves them with an illustration that is the closing to the sermon. Both the faithful and the unfaithful experience storms of life. It's not a matter of no wind and storm in life. Both experience it. The difference comes to the one who hears and does versus the one who hears and doesn't. Both hear, and sometimes there is a hearing problem. Sometimes there is a helping people understand who God is and what God says. But I'm gonna tell you this, most of the time the problem isn't what we hear and know, most of the time the problem is we're not doing what we know. And in this, we have a tendency to say, well if you just know more, you'll do more. Not necessarily. Because there is not a knowledge test, there is a relationship test. Matthew chapter seven. The Sermon on the Mount is strategically placed in Matthew. And ever since chapter one, verse one, Matthew's been building an argument for someone to be astonished at. For someone to be astounded by. For someone to be amazed with. Such that you don't even maybe even know all what it means. But you're so grabbed a hold of by that you follow after. And it is in the following after that we come to know and do more. If there is no amazement, There is a problem. Because there will be no following. I think Matthew wants us to finish chapter seven. Push back a little bit. Like, whoa. And so I'm gonna leave it there. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that you would help us to be astonished by you. Father, I would pray that you would help us to be amazed by Christ, who he is, what he's done, why he came. Father, I would pray that we walk away from today not thinking, wow, that was a creative presentation of the Sermon on the Mount. I really do pray that we would leave thinking and considering and even having that sense of, I want to know more about this one who taught that.
And that is that drawing towards, that following after reality, being amazed in and astounded by. More of that in us, Lord. Help us in that. Blow us away. Show us more of who you are. In Christ's name.